All right, folks, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I'm excited to discuss Jamal Murray in this particular podcast. Given that we are in the deep offseason, given that starting to have to get a little bit more creative in terms of the podcasts that I'm doing, obviously, thank you for listening in to last week's podcast with Adam Morris, where we quite literally ranked the animals that Adam and I could fight. That was pretty fun. Uh, This particular podcast, and I think several of the ones going over the course of the next few weeks, are going to focus on one specific player. And that player is going to change every podcast. It's not just going to be Nikola Jokic the entire time or Jamal Murray the entire time. I'm going to kind of sprinkle in a bunch of different players and really focus in and hone in on what they can do, what they were doing, and kind of where the Nuggets are going to go with said player over the course of these next few weeks. Probably going to do about five or six of them. But for now, I wanted to get things kicked off with Jamal Murray. I was initially going to do Nikola Jokic, but I think I'm going to save that for a little bit closer to the Eurobasket time a little bit closer to the uh, the FIBA qualifier for the, the, World Cup, the World Cup qualifier between Giannis and Jokic, which happens on August 25th. So that should be fun. But in this particular episode, I'm going to go over Jamal Murray. And it's a little bit different than some of the others that I'm going to do just because he didn't play last year. But I will be focusing on kind of where he was before the injury, what to expect after the injury, and then we'll kind of get into some uh, miscellaneous stuff with other guys, uh, other events that happened over the course of the weekend. Uh, But first, Jamal Murray, his 2020-21 stats, I think, are kind of forgotten. 21.2 points, 4.8 assists, 4.0 rebounds, 47.7 field goal percentage, 40.8 three-point percentage, and 86.9 free throw percentage. Just taking those in a nutshell, like only 19 players in the NBA had at least 21 points, four and a half assists, and a 58 true shooting percentage that year. Most of them were all-stars. The only guys that didn't make an all-star were DeMar DeRozan, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Carl Anthony Towns, and Jamal Murray. DeMar and Towns, they each made All-Star games this last year. I think SGA is well on his way. He's just kind of in a very similar position to Murray, I think, where younger point guard, Canadian point guard, and kind of in a position where other guards are overshadowing him in the Western Conference right now. Would probably have made an Eastern Conference All-Star, but that's neither here nor there. One other stat that I want to point out. Plus 11.3 net rating for Jokic and Murray when they're on the court together in 1,300 minutes last year. Or not last year, but 2020-21. And then a minus 3.7 net rating in the 340 minutes or so that that Murray played without Jokic. And why that is significant to me is it's completely different from the situation that the Nuggets had this last year where without kind of that other star that could lift up some lineups, play on the court without Jokic, the Nuggets were kind of sunk for most of the year. I'm looking at the numbers right now. 
Uh, Denver was minus 10 when Faku was on the court and Jokic was off. They were minus 5 when both Faku and Jokic were off. So that kind of separates uh, the, the delineation between when Bones came into the, the fold versus when he didn't. But Denver quite literally went from a minus 10 to a minus 5. It wasn't like it was anything crazy. They were in the situation where the numbers were just so bad, though, that it ended up being minus 8 in terms of net rating without Jokic this past year. But with Murray, it was at a minus 3.7. And though it was only 340 minutes, and though I'm I'm sure he's probably not going to stagger that much this upcoming season, it is a possibility. And given that Denver's roster is so top-heavy, Denver's probably going to explore staggering with different combinations. My guess is that it's going to be Bones and MPJ as kind of the primary stagger. What that's going to look like with the second unit, I'm not sure. But I do think that Denver at this point, they could play Bones and Murray together. They could uh, they could play Murray and Bruce Brown together off the bench. Maybe Bones uh, in some situations doesn't play. I don't really expect that. I actually would prefer Bones to play, but there might be times where he doesn't. Um, But I want to point out this stretch. When did Jamal Murray put up the following numbers? Just take a guess. 24.1 points, 5.2 assists, 1.5 steals, 50.9% field goal percentage, 45.9% three-point percentage, and a 93.5 free throw percentage. Those are great numbers. And if you said the bubble, you'd be close. That was a little bit different for Murray. He was putting up, I think, about 26, 6, and 6 in the bubble, and that was incredible. But the numbers that I just listed were the final 25 games that Murray played in the 2021 season outside of the one game that he came back for against Golden State when he injured himself. He started last year slow or 2021 slow. There's no doubt about it. And I think part of that has to do with the late bubble run that Denver went into and the shortened offseason turnaround. That that happened with a lot of guys, and very few players that went that deep had great seasons. Jokic, I think, was kind of the exception to the rule. But with Murray, in those final 25 games, the Nuggets had a negative plus minus in just six of them in the games when Murray was on the floor. Murray had a positive plus minus in 19 of the 25 final games. So you talk about impact. You talk about where the Nuggets were. They were absolutely rolling. Jokic was doing his MVP thing. Michael Porter had finally just found his rhythm. And Jamal Murray was Jokic's wingman. Very clearly, where sometimes he would even step up and take a leading role, especially when it got hot. Some of my favorite moments, like I'm going to list them there. They go back a few years, I think. But some of my favorite moments for Murray, the bubble will always be the all-time. Like, I don't know if he will ever top. I hope he does. I hope that for his sake, for Denver fans' sake, that he does top what he did in the bubble. But game six against the Jazz, where he put 50 points up, after putting up 50 in game four and 42 in game five, if he puts up, he put up 50 points 
in game six. And then had the George Floyd shoes on and made the speech that he did from the bubble. It was a big deal. It was a very, very big deal for him, for the Nuggets, and for Nuggets fans. Game seven versus the Clippers, that might be my favorite Nuggets game of all time. It's also coinciding with a fantastic Murray game where he puts up 40 points on Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Patrick Beverly, and anybody else that dared to guard him. But the time that I knew when Murray was about it, like I know like a lot of people, they, I think, criticized my Murray takes during that 2019-20 season before the bubble hit because I saw a star and I, I felt pretty strongly about that and got some pushback. The reason why I thought he could be what he was and what he ended up being was games four and five against the Spurs in the 2019 playoffs. The reason why I say that is because game three, the first game, he was horrible in that series. The second game, he had that big 24-point swing in the fourth quarter. Maybe it was 21 points or something like that. We shot eight of nine from the field. It was absolutely going off. It was a home game, though, and I think that really, like the home versus road thing, I think really separated him. Because in game three, his first game on the road in a playoff game, he was also horrible. He didn't play well, and Derek White really took advantage of him. Game four, he had an opportunity to respond, and he did. And then game five, he followed that up. And it was those two games where, in the fifth game, Jokic only scored 16 points. Murray had 23.7 assists in that in that fifth game. It was a plus 33 in an 18-point win. He was unbelievable. And it kind of gets lost in the grand scheme of the like the bubble run and everything that's happened to the Nuggets ever since. But Murray's first playoff performance was when I knew that he had this in him. It was undoubted. He stepped up to the plate every single time. His resilience, very clear. Some other games where he really showed out, the Westbrook pushing Murray game, uh, when Westbrook was back in OKC, and that was a, a game that was on national TV, and Denver was really showing that they had outgrown the OKC Thunder. I think Paul George was still on that team as well. And... Westbrook shoves Murray, like for whatever reason, late in the fourth quarter. And it was because Murray had clearly rattled him. And Westbrook was clearly frustrated. Murray had outgrown him. Murray's 48 versus Kyrie and the Boston Celtics. That was a big deal. And the way that Kyrie responded to that, it was a a situation where he knew that Murray was there. Murray was right there with him. And then Murray's 50 versus Cleveland, another one that stands out. 21 of 25 from the field, zero free throws attempted, absolutely dominant performance. Was unbelievable that game. And then an underrated moment versus Chicago in March of 2021. Denver was down in that game and they had to fight their way back to beat the Bulls in OT. But in order to get there, Jamal Murray and Jokic ran the perfect two-man game. Circled around, found the open three. Murray hits the step back, sidestep three in the corner at the buzzer to 
tie the game. My God, like, you just knew that he was about it. You knew it. So, I think the vibes at this point, they were an all-time high versus the Clippers on April 1st of 2021. Possibly at the end of the like the, the bubble game seven against the Clippers. That's probably the, the top moment in Nuggets history. But I think the vibes after Aaron Gordon was acquired, Murray Porter, Jokic were clearly rolling. Denver defeats that amazing Clippers team. And they do it pretty easily. The all-time low was on April 12th, 11 days later, when the ACL tear happens. But now, 15 months later, I really do think Murray's ready to go. His opening night is going to be emotional. Going to be a lot of fun, though. And he deserves it. He deserves to be able to come back, enjoy this moment, have the crowd roaring for him. And it's not going to be the same with Porter. Um, partially because Murray got there first and has really connected with the crowd a little bit better. But Porter, uh, no, no, Murray, like his entrance into that game is just going to be unbelievable. People are going to go crazy about it. I can't wait to be there. I really can. It's going to be a lot of fun. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk about how Murray will be impacted post-injury and what we can expect for him this season. We'll be right back. But first, summer is here and there's no better time to make your first bet with Superbook Sports. Along with its usual vast betting menu, Superbook already has a lineup for every pro football game this fall. Plus, when you make your first deposit on the Superbook app or sign up at Superbook.com, they will match 100% of your money up to $500. It's never too early to start thinking about football at Superbook Sports. Place your bet and start winning today. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call Super, super great. All right, let's get back into this thing. Jamal, when he comes back from the injury, Michael Malone has said this, like he said this, that he's not going to be like full go 100% right when he comes back. And that's to be expected. Like you just want to get guys on the court. You want to get their sea legs under them again. And then you start going. Then you start really grinding. And you work your way up. You take your time. Make sure that you hit all the benchmarks. You don't skip any steps. And once he gets to a point where he can go full go, he will. And that'll be probably mid-season. Like, I would expect it to be full go February and onward. I think his role over the course of those first few months is going to look like the following. About 20 to 28 minutes per game during October and November like he's going to start with at least 20. I think there's there's no doubt about that. He's 
coming back from the injury. And he's going to need to take some time, but it's not going to be like, like he's, he's still had 18 months once he gets back to that point. So I would expect it to be about that. Then he's going to up it. The Nuggets are going to up it to about 28 to 30 minutes in December, 30 to 33 minutes in January. And then after that point, it's just full go. Like you can play him 35 minutes a night. You can play him 38 minutes a night if need be. Like I think Denver's going to try to be smart. They're not going to play him 47 minutes a night. I think there's definitely uh, diminishing returns at that point. And Denver should be cautious in those situations where he averaged basically uh, the year that he got hurt about 34 and a half minutes per game. So he was playing a ton. He was playing a lot of minutes. And Denver, now at this stage, they're going to want to play him a lot of minutes again. Like Bones is going to have to be big in his place when he takes some of those breaks. Like he's not going to play any back-to-backs in all likelihood until Christmas. There will be some times where he's going to need that maintenance. And it might be unscheduled. It might be scheduled. But I'd expect him to play about 60 to 65 games, 1,800 total minutes, maybe close to 2,000 if he gets lucky. Denver gets lucky, but you're probably averaging about 30 minutes per game on the season, and that's fine. There ain't nothing wrong with that. Like, you just want him to be ready to go full go by the playoffs. Now, the real question is, will he be the second option right off the bat? Like, how is Denver going to work that? Jokic obviously will be the first option. He's going to carry the load, just like he always has. Because even back when Murray and Porter were healthy, Jokic was still dropping numbers. Like, he was still as uh, productive as ever. But now, I think Jokic's numbers will probably go down a little bit as he tries to work back in both Murray and Porter to what the Nuggets are doing. And then I think there are going to be some nights where Murray, even though they're trying to get him some shots, even though they're trying to get him some numbers, some, some looks to get ready for a playoff series in April, that there are going to be times where he takes fewer than 10 shots. And guys like Aaron Gordon, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, maybe they take some more. A lot of it's just going to come down to what the opposing team gives Denver, because a lot of the Jokic-style offense, when there's a lot of weapons on the court, is whoever's open is going to take the shot. That's what Jokic does well. He distributes the ball really well. And there will be times where KCP takes 15 shots as a result. It's not going to be often. But on the nights where Murray only takes 10 shots and KCP takes 15, Denver could still win those games. They probably will still win those games in those situations, and that's fine. But by February... I really do expect Murray to be a 15-plus shot-per-game guy uh, right around game 50 or so. Fully locked in as the second option, ready to go, ready to support Nikola, and do the the two-man dance every single time down the court. Now, it's going to take some time to get back into that, but that's probably what the role is going to look like. And then maybe by game 50, you might see him staggering a little bit more with the second unit. Now, I do think that Denver's going to try the other options first. 
they're going to want to avoid breaking up Murray and Jokic so that Denver can regain and utilize that chemistry as much as they can. But there will be times where Murray's needed. There will be times where Jokic is needed. So Denver's going to have to play that by ear, but for the most part, I think those guys will be playing together as opposed to Murray staggering a lot more. Now, the impact of what he does, it should be pretty self-evident, right? Like, Denver won 48 games this last year. It was a struggle to get to 48 wins. Some of that was because of Porter. Some of that was because Denver's bench really took a hit. A lot of that was just because Murray was the consistent option that they could rely upon pretty much every single night. And he'd be a consistent force for Denver where so much of what the Nuggets did uh, this last year, it involved nobody else scoring more than 20 points. Like Aaron Gordon might get 16 or 17 one night. Maybe Barton would get 18 points if Denver was lucky. Morris would get the 20 piece here or there. But Murray has the capability to put up a crooked number. Porter does too, but a little bit to a lesser extent. Murray, when he has it going, it allows Denver to kind of riff off of what he does. The three-point shooting off the dribble, that will automatically impact the offense uh, very positively. With Morris, teams would dare him to shoot that outside shot, and he did it pretty well. But with Barton, they would do the same thing, and Murray has the capability to hit those shots at pretty close to a 40% clip and at a pretty close to high volume. It's just not something that the other guys were doing, and the more space away from the rim that the Nuggets pull defenders, it just means that Jokic is going to be able to dominate in the middle, as will the cutting specialists in MPJ and Gordon. I think there's also a certain calmness and a familiarity that this impact uh, for the two-man game is going to have. Because you think about where Denver really struggled last year. I think the, the clutch time was definitely a time where they struggled. They didn't necessarily know what to go to. It's mostly the, the Morris-Jokic pick and roll. And sometimes Jokic post-ups. Like, probably a lot of Jokic post-ups. But with Murray, you have options. You have plenty of options in those cases where Murray can screen for Jokic. Jokic can screen for Murray. You have off-ball sets with those guys. Or they just run the DHO game. And that's the versatility that he provides, where he can shoot from anywhere on the court, and he can also fill a lot of other roles if need be. It's that familiarity and that calmness that you're hoping that comes back. His ability to carry the second unit again, like mentioned that before, but that's going to do wonders for Denver. If Denver can take that unit that was a minus eight last year and get it down to a minus four, they're doing really well. Like automatically, even if the starting lineup doesn't change at all, like the starting lineup was very good last year. If it stayed the same, and Denver's offense without Jokic, or like the, the playing without Jokic was a minus four, Denver automatically gets another five wins. They go from 48 to 53. 
It might even be higher than that. I'd project it would be higher than that, actually. But that's just where something like that can really manifest. Stats expectations, I think. Uh, Murray was at 21, 5, and 4 last year, as I mentioned. Or 21 last year, as I mentioned. 45% from the field, 37% from three, 88% from the free throw, and then about a 57% true shooting. That, to me, seems right. That seems like a pretty reasonable expectation, because there will be games where Murray just looks like he's back. And there will be games where he's kicking off the rest. But here are the only players in the NBA that match, or actually, no, the only players last year that matched those numbers that I mentioned, basically 25 and 4 on 57% true shooting, they were all all stars plus Kyrie Irving. And Kyrie's been an all star before. So, like, you get to that level, and if you're winning, those are at least borderline all-stars, all-star numbers for Murray. Because he's a part of he's a cog in that machine that Denver always runs. It's the second most important cog behind Jokic. And Porter will add some stuff, and Gordon will add some stuff, and KCP and Bruce Brown and Bones will add some stuff. But in order for Denver to get to where they want to go, they need that production. And I would hope that. Murray gets some all-star consideration even next year. Now, the numbers will probably not look like that to the voters when he comes uh, ready for all-star voting. Like, it'll probably be closer to like 18-4-4 on 55% true shooting. If that's the case, whatever. Like, it's going to take him some time. But Denver can work with that. They don't need much. They just need production. They just need stability. And then in the playoffs, that's when you want him cooking as much as he possibly can next to Jokic. Because Denver needs something to rally around. Jokic is an automatic. The vibes have always been best, though, when Murray has it going at the same time. When Jokic is doing everything by himself, it feels inevitable that Denver will lose. Where... Jokic will slip up at some point, because nobody can stay like that consistently. And then everything sort of falls apart. With Murray, if he has it going at the same time, Denver almost feels unbeatable. They always get a good shot, and they hit the tough shots even when they don't. So the two-man game, that needs to take Denver home in these clutch situations. Murray is half of that equation. I think we saw that this last year. We saw what it means when he's not out there. But more than anything, it's not just the numbers. It's not just the the vibe. I think Denver lost a lot of their resilience when Murray went down. He was the guy that Denver would look to in those situations, that they did look to in those situations in the bubble. And when he got back going, Denver had belief. They never stopped having belief, and I think that really began with Murray, where he wasn't going to let Denver lose in those situations. And then Jokic sort of recovered as well. And Denver in that situation, they made things work, even though it, was, it wasn't perfect. 
Denver had to work for it, but they did, and they made it happen. The resilience was missing when Murray was out, when he wasn't out there. And now I am looking forward to seeing what he can do with this Denver group. When Denver's down five, they're down seven, five minutes left to go. Where does Denver go to? Do they go to the Jokic Murray two man game? Do they just trust Jokic? How does it look? Where does Denver look? And if it looks good, then that's when I know the Nuggets will be back. Because you know he can do it in the playoffs. He's already shown it. Shown it in multiple years. If he can be that level of productive and Jokic does what he does, Denver's going to be impossible to stop. I guarantee it. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to wrap up with some miscellaneous things. We'll be right back. segment pickaxe and roll thank you so much everybody for tuning into this episode want to wrap up with a few notes here uh some unfortunate things happened over the weekend that we have to talk about that i I want to mention uh colin gillespie it came out on saturday morning i was traveling during that time so i just i didn't see this immediately but colin gillespie had surgery on a lower left leg fracture on friday night he uh, it was a successful surgery. He's going to be out indefinitely. Not sure what the extent of the injury was, but was told that it was serious, that this is probably going to be a, a long time thing that he has to deal with. I'm not going to put a timeline on it because that would be uh, irresponsible of me, I think. But it is too bad that before he played a single minute, this major injury has happened and the last time we saw this happen to a Nuggets player, uh, a two-way player, was Greg Whittington, actually. He barely played, I think he played like one or two games for the Nuggets, and then he was cut. And Denver actually made room for, might have been P.J. Dozier at that point, it might have been somebody else, but they made room for another two-way contract guy because of that injury, so... Colin Gillespie, I'm pretty sure he only signed a one-year two-way contract. So Denver, they might decide to go another direction, but it doesn't seem like the kind of organizational thing that the Nuggets would do. Like, I think they're going to give him treatment. They're going to try to help him get back on the court. And hopefully he's back out on the court this year. Like, that would be the best-case scenario is that this doesn't derail anything. Because he was looking very good at Summer League. I was really impressed. Felt like he was a really good third point guard candidate going forward for Denver. You've got Murray as the starter, Bones as the backup, and Colin Gillespie as kind of your staple third guard. That would be fantastic if it was for Denver. Kind of thrown out of whack because of what happened. But hopefully things kind of stabilize. And we'll just have to wait and see on that. And the next thing that happened, uh, Bill Russell 
unfortunately passed away on Sunday. And this was one that I think it took a lot of people by surprise because Bill Russell, despite being 88 years old, and a lot of people forgot that he was 88, but he was still out and about. He was still traveling. He was still delivering the Bill Russell MVP award, the finals MVP. I don't think he did it this last year. And that was really unfortunate. Maybe that was I guess, a sign of things to come. But Bill Russell has been a massive, like, titan of the NBA. Ever since the 40s, ever since the 50s, he has been a mainstay for NBA culture and has been around and been a great uh, role model for a lot of people to look up to. Magic Johnson said that he was his role model. Michael Jordan said a lot of the same things. Bill Russell, the way that he carried himself, the way that he was selfless to a fault for his own team, his competitive drive, his uh, willingness to do the dirty work, and his abilities, to say the least, they were unparalleled. What he did in his NBA career as a rebounder, as a defender, as a rim runner, we may never see it again. He was that impactful. He was that good. And it's too bad to see this because he was a very important figure in the NBA today. I remember uh, the 2018 awards show that the, that the NBA did. 2017 or 2016, I think he was on the, he was on the stage with five other centers. I think Shaq was up there. Akeem was up there. Dikembe was up there. Guys like that, like the, the Titans of center play throughout NBA history. Bill Russell points at all of them and says, I would kick all y'all asses, which is hilarious. And it's probably true. He was that good. In an era dominated by Will Chamberlain, Bill Russell won 11 rings. 11! That's unbelievable. The NBA 75 team, I think, is really important, and it's going to go down in history as probably, I think, one of the NBA's best things that they did. Now, I have my own qualms. Like, I thought that Jokic should have been on the team. He had only been in the league for six years, but he had won his first MVP, and he was clearly going to deserve being on the list. Now, unfortunately, it didn't happen that way, but what it did allow for was for the history of the league to be quantified and to be showcased throughout the entire year of the NBA's kind of 75th anniversary. And you saw all of these great players show up at the All-Star game. Michael Jordan walks through the door to the surprise of everybody. There's just a lot of people there. Like, I think Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, they were all there. They all made up. That was awesome. There's just a lot of people that you can think of throughout the NBA's history as extremely impactful. And you see a death of somebody like Bill Russell, and you realize that not a lot of people have played in the NBA. And fewer still have had the level of impact 
that a guy like Bill Russell has had. There are not five players greater than Bill Russell right now. It's wonderful what he's done. And I do think that the way that the NBA 75 team was done was a little bit weird. But in retrospect, the way that the NBA showcased their history, it's been the one thing that I think the Nuggets have really struggled with. They didn't have NBA on any, any, any player on the NBA 75 team that was, I think, a pure representative of the Nuggets. Because Mello will probably go in as a Nick. Um, actually, I, was he on the team? I think he was, but it's uh, it's just one of those things where you start to value different things as you're in this business for a lot longer. And you start to think about all of the time that has passed. Like I remember back when I was a freshman, I was starting to cover the Nuggets uh, as a 19-year-old, 18-year-old back in 2015. And to think where Denver is now, where the NBA is now, from seven years ago, how the world has changed, it's why lists like the NBA 75 are so important for preserving history. And I'm glad that the NBA did it in retrospect. I just think that it was important to capture the level of impact that these guys have had. So good on the NBA for making it a big deal and really disappointed to hear about Bill Russell's death. Really disappointed to hear about Colin Gillespie's injury. Um, it's too bad that this is kind of the note that we have to end on, but hopefully uh, next episode will be a little bit more positive. I think we'll, we'll I'll make it my uh, goal to make the, the endings and, and even the, the shows themselves more positive just because it's the off season. We gotta, gotta have the good vibes. Gotta have everybody wanting to come back. That'll do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll brought to you by Superbook Sports. Thank you so much everybody for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support. I will talk to you guys on Wednesday. Wednesday.